Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Alisa Cooper de Uribe, the 2021 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. Hello, New Mexico. This is Zach Chavez, NMPED Civic Engagement Coordinator with a couple of updates. Be sure to stay tuned for news coming about a federal program that will help families stay connected during the pandemic. The Emergency Broadband Benefit will provide a discount of up to $50 per month for its broadband service for eligible households and up to $75 per month for households on tribal lands. More information is coming soon. We also want to direct you to the NMPED website. There you can find the newest school reentry guidance as well as find updates and information on our educator and family portals. It's a great way to stay engaged and informed. This week, I sit down with Mary Jean Haberman Lopez. Profesora Lopez has been a key player in uplifting the field of bilingual education in New Mexico. Her experience as a bilingual classroom teacher, school administrator, college professor, and director of bilingual education for New Mexico at the state and federal level connected her to the prime movers of our unique and crucial bilingual programs. In this episode, Profesora Lopez talks about her collaboration with Dr. Rebecca Bloom Martinez and a luminous group of contributing writers to publish The Shoulders We Stand On, a history of bilingual education in New Mexico. This landmark book lifts the voices of indigenous and Spanish-speaking educators who have done the critical work of fostering bilingualism and biculturalism in New Mexico. She also talks about the evolution and continued relevance of bilingual education and its role in honoring and upholding students' diverse cultures. So, put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with stories from one of New Mexico's education leaders. Thank you, Profesora Haberman Lopez, for joining me today. We are so happy to have you. And as one of your former bilingual education students, I can say that you have done so much for our schools, our teachers, and our students here in New Mexico. Thank you for that. You mentioned that you're originally from New Jersey and came to New Mexico for university studies, and you've gone on to contribute so much to education at all levels of our state. And I was wondering if you could share your teacher story with us. Well, thank you very much, Alisa. Um, I'd be happy to share it with you. I, I initially didn't think I would be a teacher. I um, came to college to study Spanish, actually. And in those days, there really weren't many options for women. Um, this is in the 60s. And, you know, I could be a nurse or I could be a teacher. Now, my sister was a nurse and I thought, well, I've got to do something different. So I went to college at New Mexico Highlands University and became a teacher of Spanish. Um, graduated with a secondary degree in Spanish. And um, how did I get into the classroom? Well, I got into the elementary classroom through bilingual education. I taught uh, in bilingual educate a bilingual education class. Uh, my first experience was in the Bernalillo Public Schools. 
Um, and I taught in a pullout program first through fourth grade in Spanish language arts. And after that, um, or before that, actually, before I actually started teaching, I had an opportunity to take classes in Guadalajara, Mexico, and um, teach at their, uh, the Autonomous uh, uh, sec Secundaria. And there I taught English. So I did that for eight months, and then I came back, and then I taught in Bernalillo. And then I went on to work at the public education agency for various uh, roles that I had there. And finally, towards the end of my career, I started working as an adjunct, which is where I met you. So that's kind of my teacher's story. That's how I got into it. And I actually, as a child, when I read about the Rosetta Stone in third or fourth grade, I wanted to be a linguist and unlock the secrets of ancient cultures in my mind, just a little kid. I, I never quite got there. <laughs> I know we have some similarities in that, that we didn't necessarily expect to teach when we were thinking about what we wanted to do when we grow up and, and Rhodes kind of led us to this profession. And I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you found your way into the bilingual education program in Bernalillo. Yes, well, in uh, I graduated in uh, 1971 and tried to get a teaching job back in New Jersey as a secondary bilingual, a secondary Spanish teacher. But at that time, there was just no positions available, unlike right now. And in December, I found that there was a job opening at New Mexico Highlands University for a graduate assistant in a new master's program for bilingual education. Now this bilingual education program in 1971, we talk about it in the book, it was the first and only master's program in New Mexico. So I signed up as a grad assistant and I started uh, taking, I was allowed to take one class per semester. I was working with an early pioneer in New Mexico by the name of Cecilio Orozco. And you have to remember that bilingual education was an innovation at that time. It was brand new. It was an experimental idea. We didn't start in bilingual ed in New Mexico till we started in 63. And that was before we even had a state law or before we had any funding or anything. So I worked with Cecilio and I found the idea to be a provocative one because since I learned Spanish as a foreign language, I had such a limited ability in being able to, to speak it, even though I had four years in high school and four years in college. And when I came to New Mexico and went to college with you know, so many kids from Northern New Mexico, I was just fascinated by the fact that they could all, they had mastery of the language. Of course, it was their first language. And yet everybody said that I spoke Spanish well, and I didn't speak it. So for me, when I went to work for Cecilio and having gotten my degree in Spanish, in my mind, I always thought, well, if I taught in New Mexico, I wouldn't have to teach the kids the language. We could use the language to learn, can get them exposed to literature. We could write about our dreams. We could write about things pertinent to the children. In the meantime, you know, working on vocabulary and stuff. So bilingual education just fit right in there because that's the premise behind it is basically to help children learn and expand through their native language. So with that in mind, um, I did that work. And um, when a job opened up, I got, uh, went through school. I mean, went, went and worked for my master's 
then I had an opportunity to go to Guadalajara and teach ESL. And when I came back, that assistantship was no longer available. So I was able to apply for a job and I started teaching in Bernalillo Public Schools. After Bernalillo, I went and worked for Henry Pascual at the Department of Ed as a bilingual specialist. So I got to see a state perspective on things and I knew how to teach in Spanish already. So I did that. And then I worked at Albuquerque High and I coordinate, coordinated a secondary bilingual program at Albuquerque High and Highland High School. And then when there was a vacancy for the position of director, I applied and I was hired. So it's kind of a long story, but it's, it's something that evolved uh, through my experience with the language and through what was new and innovative at the time. It all kind of merged together beautifully. So many different perspectives at different levels too. I, I grew up here in New Mexico in uh, small town Raton. And at the time uh, there weren't programs at the elementary level for bilingual education. That was in the eighties. And I know that the way I teach here in New Mexico now has some similarities, but many differences from my own K-12 education, especially in terms of what you touched on, like cultural responsiveness and language acquisition. And, and so I'm wondering if, you know, in your trajectory, if you could share some of the advances that you've seen in education in our state since you began here. Okay, we're going back in time. Bilingual education was the advance as far as I was concerned with my, uh, for New Mexico, with my uh, career. I think the most relevant advance, and this is basically speaks what bilingual education is, is when I went to school before, uh, of course, we got, I got my master's or started my master's, teaching was really um, drills focused and uh, uh, a certain level of learning you know, was expected and you work toward that level of learning. When I took uh, some elementary courses back then that weren't necessarily bilingual courses like teaching, reading at the elementary level, there was a lot of skills focus, but with, um, at that time, it was like getting kids to have more hands-on experience as opposed to just that that was the new thing in, in teaching reading. And so from that point, going into bilingual education, Given the context of New Mexico's multilingual, multicultural population, uh, bilingual ed was an advance because it made learning come alive for children. Other advances I saw through time was that instructional materials became more inclusive of linguistically and culturally diverse students. Before I started school, instructional materials were pretty much geared towards uh, Anglo-Saxon um, students. Um, another huge advance was punishment for speaking Spanish on the playground and in the classrooms of the state. That has pretty much disappeared, but I'm hearing that in certain places in the state and perhaps in the country now that kids are again being told that it's not good for them to speak their native language. Um, so we went from punishment for speaking Spanish to allowing students to use the language for instruction, to use the language with one another, and to help clarify meaning if they didn't understand. It's interesting that you see, have seen that there have been fluctuations and, and pendulum swings in, in your time in education. And it sometimes yeah. depends on a district and philosophies of different schools as well. Mm -hmm. But 
there are definitely swings that we've seen too. One thing I know that uh, was so important to read in, in the book that you published, The Shoulders We Stand On, what a marvelous contribution, that for me, it was so important to read that in, in spite of how bilingual education has been such a, a recent uh, codified thing within New Mexico, that bilingual learning has been a part of our state's culture in different ways for centuries. So in, in your collaboration with Rebecca Bloom Martinez and, and the luminous group of contributing writers that you had, I'm, I'm wondering what are some of the fruits that you hope the publication of your book, The Shoulders We Stand On can bear in the future, especially in light of what we just noticed that there are pendulum swings in terms of cultural views of bilingualism and methods of pedagogy that we're working with all the time. What, what are your hopes for the future in terms of your book and its contributions? Rebecca and I, Dr. Bloom Martinez and I said, you know, we need to leave a written record of what these people did because it was phenomenal. And we're not young anymore either. And who will know about what happened in New Mexico if it's not documented? Another outcome I hope is that the book will inform um, the general public um, more about bilingual ed um, and the education of um, our children, our Hispanic and Native American children. Everyone has an opinion about bilingual ed, it seems, uh, when you talk to different people, it's like a, a muddy mess is what I like to think of it, a big pool. And you try to clarify a little bit about what, what the purpose is or how it helps English or why it's important for self-esteem. And you clarify a little with some people and then the mud kind of takes over again. So we're hoping that this helps people to understand uh, the general public that this activity was really designed to help children learn. And when you think that any language in the world, children learn using language, there's no reason why they couldn't learn using their native language in a bilingual environment. Um, so we hope that, you know, informing the public about it, we can clarify some understandings, why it's so important for learning and for building students' self-concept and participation and success in schools. And then the last reason for the book, of course, is to prepare teachers. So um, in New Mexico, when I went <clears throat> and received my training on the history of bilingual ed, the only books that were out there were books that talked about what happened in Massachusetts, how California, what's going on in California, what they did in Florida. And uh, yet I knew that we had been, since the 70s, I knew that we had been implementing bilingual education here. So um, I just felt like, uh, we both felt like that it would be very important for prospective teachers um, to learn about the history and understand what was here. Um, prior to, uh, well, prior to the present day and the strength of the people that, and, and the brains, the wisdom and the thinking that went on. I mean, it was, it was so innovative back then. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what I would hope the publication, inform the general public, use it for prospective teachers um, 
in the field as they're preparing for bilingual ed and uh, inform the general public about it. Hopefully we can generate more interest and enthusiasm and understanding about the purposes and, and the outcomes of good bilingual programs, good ones. They're, they're not all good. Just like there's not all good math classes, there's not all good everything. There are places where it needs to improve, but the idea done well produces a phenomenal result. It really does. And my situation is interesting in that we're providing bilingual education, but in a second language immersion setting where we do have students who have Spanish um, or we've had some where in the older grades, they've had Arabic as a native language, yet we're teaching to a majority of our students in, in Spanish or Arabic as a second or third language and how its importance for creating more global mindedness and cerebral flexibility in students and, and appreciation for the culture that we have here in New Mexico that but it also has an impact as well. So I, I appreciate so much the work that you all did on this book. It's a real gift. Starting from at this point, I'm, I'm wondering since you have had such an incredible impact on bilingual education, both as a teacher, but then as an a, a educator of teachers and then also at a, you know, the policy and uh, state level with the PED. And I, am, I imagine that you are also still ha have an ear to the ground about bilingual education moving forward. And I'm wondering, especially now in this legislative session and in those that will happen in the future, what's at the forefront of your mind in terms of bilingual education and how it appears in state legislation moving forward? Well, um, as a result of the Yazzie Martinez cases, um, the issues of equitable education for Hispanic and Native American children have come forward again. Um, the outcomes of that uh, lawsuit um, has recommended certain actions go forward and those actions need um, legislative support for them to happen in a uniform way across the state. Um, so there's some very specific needs um, that have been brought forward to the legislator, legislatures as a result of the case, um, specifically addressing the needs of the poor, poor children, um, English learners, Native American students, Hispanics as well, and increasing funding in general as the response, increasing the amount of money going to the schools without it being targeted will not necessarily remedy uh, the hopes of the Yazi Martinez lawsuit. Um, so there is a group that has been formed called, called Transform Education New Mexico. And they have um, been proposing legislation contacting legislators. They actually put a magnificent platform together, which you can uh, get online if you go to Transform Education New Mexico. There was great advocacy uh, and has been great advocacy through, again, some of the people in our book, uh, people who have been involved for so long, 
um, we formed a coalition for the majority about eight years ago when we worked through the Martinez administration. So, you know, whenever there are needs, you have to be able to work with legislators because they have their constituents to consider. They have a plate full of things they would like to see happen and you really have to get their ear. So luckily through the coalition and then the lawsuit, we have come to a point where legislation is being proposed again. Right after the lawsuit was decided upon when the judge issued her opinion, um, most of the legislators at that first session, you know, they, they just felt that, well, we just need to give some more money, you know. So it's been an educational process, a hand-in-hand -hand process between legislators and advocates. And so um, I, I would recommend that, um, you know, anyone interested in legislation go to Transform Education New Mexico. They have a powerful platform and a section of it, I'm gonna read a section of it to you. It says, um, culturally, we need to provide culturally and linguistic linguistically responsive curriculum and instructional materials, bilingual ed, dual language programs, and teacher preparation to create learning environments that embrace the cultures, languages, and heritages of our students. To develop and sustain this concept, higher education institutions, tribal education departments, and community programs must have adequate resources the state must build this capacity to fully implement the Indian Ed Act, the Hispanic Ed Act, the Bilingual Multicultural Act, and the state must also ensure to ensure must ensure meaningful consultation and collaboration with tribal governments as part of the government-to-government -government relationship. Those three acts that we have are there, but they're not necessarily funded equitably or to the extent that um, they can accomplish the goals that are in the statute, you know. So legislation is needed for that. One of the major pieces, and there are so many parts to the needs, um, is to find a way to invest in teacher preparation through the universities so we can address the shortage of qualified teachers for Spanish and Native American bilingual ed. So we have to increase the pipeline. There are not many teachers going into bilingual ed like when I started. Um, so we have to increase the pipeline with pre-service teachers. And we, in order to do that, the universities have to have, to have the teachers, the, the professors that can deliver the courses in the language as well as with knowledge. And usually those bilingual departments in the universities are maybe one, you know, two, three people at the most, depending on the size of the university. So they go on um, to say, in order to fix the dire shortage of educators, especially for indigenous teachers, bilingual education, special ed and early childhood, pay must be competitive with surrounding states and we must have a pipeline of programs and grow your own programs to bring in educators who reflect the diversity of our students. The needs in Native America uh, for bilingual education are much more complex and comprehensive. It's not just a matter of language because many of the languages are not written and it's a matter of working and respecting tribal communities and their governance. 
and uh, working on a government-to-government -government basis, which has been um, established in New Mexico, recognizing the sovereignty of the nations. But our Native American children and their cultures, it's not um, simply just providing instruction in the Native language. Um, the Native language is vital to the communities. They will not survive. Their cultures will not survive. And if the schools do not recognize and work with the tribes in a way that allow them to enhance the language, to accomplish the, the way of life of the Native American people, things can die, you know, and we take such pride in our Native American cultures and traditions here, but, you know, we, we have to preserve them and, and the children are suffering the most from all of that. So meaningful consultation and collaboration with tribal governments as part of a government to government relationship uh, can promote education that reflects the community itself. And another thing is that I've always said, and I believe it's in the platform somewhere is that, you know, and you mentioned it, Alicia, Alisa, when you said, you know, things are different from school to school, administrators really don't understand on don't, not all of them, but I think in the preparation of administrators, we need to make sure that every administrator or person that goes for administrative certificate in New Mexico needs to understand the people of the state. And as an administrator, they could work in Las Cruces, they could work in Gallup, they could work in Raton. And all of the kids, it's not like the our children are all the same. They're all different, just like children are. I mean, children are, depending on the homes they come from, I mean, they're nurtured and loved, but the communities themselves and their values are different. So administrators really need to um, have some kind of a supplement to that preparation that it prepares them to know that, you know, they may have English learners in their school, maybe not in the school, one school, but in another school, there may be many, and they need to know that there are ways to teach the children and that there are programs out there that will help them love to learn and love who they are while they're learning. Because if they love who they are and they see themselves in the curriculum, then they become part of it instead of apart from it. That speaks so much to what you were saying about how our aim is to have good programs and how key it is to really keep that as the touchstone that for, for the students to be learning in a place where they can love themselves, that they are they are taught in a in a way that that values them as people. That's that's so beautiful. It's so important, you know, and no parent wants a child not to be able to succeed in school. And no parent wants to blame a teacher. Parents assume that teachers are prepared like doctors are prepared and then they know everything that needs to be done. And if a teacher or an administrator doesn't understand that or they seem to think, well, you know, they've got to learn English, which they do, there's no doubt about it. But in order to learn English, use what the children have, let them see themselves in the curriculum, let them see their culture in the curriculum in a real way, not just on a Cinco de Mayo, in a real way so that what is in their home is part of the school. I remember a long time ago, I'm kind of drifting off here in an interview I had with, uh, talking I had with Rena Henry, who was out in uh, Nash Chitty, New Mexico. We talked about her in the book. And, 
and uh, she converted her little tiny elementary school and really into a community school for the, where the parents were not just welcome, they were part, they became part and parcel of decision-making. And she told me, she said, when I came here, this was a white man's school with Navajo children, she said, and I want this to be a school for Navajo children with Navajo children and with the community. We're part and whole, and that's the whole inclusive concept that you so find in so many community concept in so many native communities, you know. You brought up such a good point too in this very unique and important but specialized part of our education in New Mexico that teacher training and our grow your own depends heavily also on people who can who can teach teachers and it inspires me to inspire others to think that if we're if we're teaching at the ground level in our classrooms for for teachers to consider thinking about passing on their legacy in the future not only to students in their classrooms but uh, to students who are learning to be teachers at the college level and that's um that's something that it sounds like particularly in New Mexico is something for us to to promote that those of us who have had the experience we have and the expertise, especially in bilingual education, that that there there's a place for us at some point also at the university level to keep those those teacher training programs alive. There's always a place for leadership. There's always a place for knowledge. If you have the knowledge, you can bring forth the leadership. It's it's not something that other people should do. Everybody needs to think about, I, I believe, you know, what can I do? How can I make this point uh, more understood and with parents? I remember having a talk with parents a long time ago on the Navajo reservation about what is this, what is this bilingual ed? What does it mean? You know, and I remember telling them, I said, well, you know, when you get on a train, you're going from, I think it was, we were in Cuba, from Cuba to San Francisco, there's a certain route. That's not to say it's the only route, but it'll get you to San Francisco. Bilingual education is like that. It's like it's another route and it's gonna get you there. You're gonna achieve, the children will do well. Um, it's good, it's a good way to educate kids. So when you talk to parents, you need, you need to just kind of put yourself in their shoes and try somewhere or another to see through their eyes what they're understanding and help them, under, help them see a different way of looking at um, the possibilities and the potentials for their children through the schools. There's so much wisdom there. And, <laughs> and <laughs> <love> years. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if, if there's also a, a timeless piece of advice that you have for New Mexico educators right now. Well, I don't know how timeless it is, but I think if I could speak from the heart about education, I would say that you need to learn everything you can about your children, your students, and remember that their home language and their culture is always an asset for learning, not a detriment. And while skills building is important because there's a lot of skills building that goes on in the early years and it's very, very important, but having students understand the concepts being taught while you're building the skills helps those skills become ingrained because there's meaning. Understanding concepts that they must understand the language in order to understand the concepts. And at language and knowing language, language doesn't exist without culture. 
with a capital C, not just a Cinco de Mayo presentation, bringing in the stories of the elders, bringing in the cuentos, the real cuentos, writing about their feelings, writing about their own community and what makes them proud of who their community is and how they can compare and contrast their communities with others that they've read about. That makes it alive. It makes it real for them. So, so you know, learn what you can about your kids, learn everything you can, work with the parents, understand the culture, bring it into the classroom in a real way. And um, it's not just language, it's language and culture. As they say, lengua y cultura son hermanos en la educación. And that is so true. You can't do it without it. We, you know, English speakers, they say, well, what's culture? You know, is it a hamburger? Or what, what do you mean culture? It's hard to just to define, but everything in the books portray who we as an English speaking world is, are. Um, for children that are not part of that world, you don't realize that by only teaching that, you're telling them that they don't have a part in it that their parents and their families didn't have a part in that when they did. There's so much history that needs to be taught and included in school. So all kids feel part of, part of it all, you know? So I don't think it's timeless, Alisa. I think it's just, you know, as a teacher, it's just so important to know your students and include their language and culture in the curriculum. I think that it's so important for you to say that. and. Timeless or not is absolutely true. And so I thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your perspective with us. It's a real honor for me to be able to have this conversation with you. Is, is there anything else you would like to leave us with? Well, it's a real honor for me to work with you. It's a real honor for me to work with any of my students and anyone um, that shows an interest and can promote the ideas of good education, which is a good bilingual education. I can't really think of anything else other than to say thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and thank you for your time. And, and I wish you the very best as I'm sure you have projects that are in the pipeline for the future. So thank you and, and all the best. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again to Professora Mary Jean Haberman Lopez. And thank you to the NMPED and Namoga for its sponsorship. May your assignments be graded and your coffee still warm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>